0: I don't know what that (laughs) was. I I, I hated that more than anything I've ever done. That was terrible. Take it, Corey. Go. Sing. Uh, Sing uh, us uh, in. uh, uh,
1: uh, Welcome to Side Talks. My my name is Corey.
0: Sing us home. Corey, sing us home.
1: Sing us home? No,
0: you're right. Sing us in to the the, podcast.
1: This is a podcast about movies, and my name is Corey Kraft, and who are you?
0: I'm Rachel Morgan. Who are, what, do you, what do you do?
1: I, I, I don't know anymore. I'm just, just some podcaster guy.
0: We talk about all things cinnamon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio
2: for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Once described as the most ravishing set of images ever printed on a single strip of celluloid, Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon is practically a documentary of how people lived in the Ireland and England of the late 1700s. Their manners and morals, their values and amours, their personal duels with large-scale battles. With an extraordinary eye for detail, Kubrick noticed people were often depicted sitting or standing by windows, allowing beautiful natural light to stream through. This can be seen throughout Barry Lyndon in stunning wide-angle shots where characters are often positioned at the far end of the frame and bathed in natural light. In the film, Kubrick has taken a basically talky novel, The Luck of Barry Lyndon by William MacRapace Thackeray, and magically transformed it into an intensely visual film. The lavishly mounted production, released by Warner Brothers, runs three hours and four minutes and cost $11 million, every dollar of which is visible on the screen. Each composition is like a painting by one of the old masters, and they link one onto the other like tiles of a wondrous mosaic. Pictorially, the elegant result emerges from a close collaboration between Kubrick and director of photography John Alcott, whose relationship began on the set of 2001 when he took over as lighting cameraman from Jeffrey Unsworth in mid-shoot. A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, the film for which he won his Oscar, and The Shining are all Kubrick-Alcott collaborations. But filming Barry Lyndon wasn't ever easy. No sets were built. He is quoted in an interview as saying, We shot some of those sequences in the wintertime, when there was natural light from perhaps 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The requirement was to bring the light up to a level that we could shoot from 8 o'clock in the morning until something like 7 o'clock in the evening while maintaining the consistent effect. Many of those stately homes used are open to the public. The crew couldn't restrict the public from going through, so they had to cater to them. They would use certain rooms with visitors virtually walking past in the corridor. Not only did the period being captured pose production challenges because of modern restraints, but classic ones as well. With an objective to shoot scenes exclusively by candlelight, that is, without a boost from any artificial light whatsoever, Kubrick and Alcott had been discussing this possibility for years, but were not able to find sufficiently fast lenses to do it. Acquiring the proper lens rigs to shoot Barry Lyndon was possibly the most difficult task, mainly because they didn't exist yet. Kubrick personally called Ed de Giglio, president of Cinema Products Corporation to ask if he thought he could fit a Zeiss lens he had procured, which had a focal length of 55mm and a maximum aperture of f.7 and was previously used by NASA for the moon landing shoot. He had sent the dimensional specifications, and it was told to Kubrick it was impossible to fit the lens to his B and C, because of its large diameter and also because the rear element came within 4 millimeters of the film plane. Stanley, being the meticulous craftsman that he is, would not take no for an answer, and persisted until the company reluctantly agreed to take a hard look at the problem. The complete attention to detail and anal retentive nature Kubrick is well rumored to possess is on full display in Barry Lyndon because to achieve the final product, Kubrick spent hours poring over every detail of paintings portraying the times. Specifically, he studied Thomas Gainsborough for his landscapes, Joshua Reynolds and William Hogarth for their renditions of people, and Johann Zofani for his detailed interiors. Chief costume designer Melania Coninero spent 18 months prior to filming prepping the costume, studying paintings, and reading books to reproduce garments as accurately as possible. Kubrick wanted Robert Redford for the role of Barry Lyndon, but the actor preferred Gregory Roy Hill's movie The Great Waldo Pepper. Enter Ryan O'Neill in the leading role and the 26-year-old model Marissa Berenson, spotted in Death in Venice and Bob Fosse's Cabaret. Though Berenson only had a handful of lines, she described the filming conditions as particularly difficult, especially the scenes by candlelight. The poor lighting made the camera lens very sensitive to movement, so much so that the actors had to remain completely still for long stretches at a time. Berenson was only told that the film would be based on the 18th century setting and that she should not go out under the sun in order to be pale skinned for her role. Ultimately, the film was too long and too slow for the American public. Though popular in Europe, the movie only cashed in $9.5 million in the U.S. instead of the 30 million Warner Brothers needed to make a profit. Despite this, Barry Lyndon was still rewarded with seven nominations and four awards at the Oscars in 1976, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Costumes, and Best Music that included pieces by Handel, Bach, Mozart, and Vivaldi. To describe Stanley Kubrick as a director for whom preparation and research were important would be to deliver the biggest understatement in cinema. It was Kubrick's fastidious, almost obsessive attention to detail that made Barry Lyndon more than just another costume piece— and more of an actual documentation of the 18th century. Barry Lyndon arrived in the midpoint of Kubrick's career and continues to exist as a summation of everything that is Kubrickian.
1: Get ready for a five-minute fight.
0: Five-minute... Round one. Fight. Fight. Oh my god. Do you know what it's time for?
1: I think it's time for a five-minute fight. A five-minute fight! I got to dust off these boxing gloves here. What are we fighting about today, Rachel?
0: Oh, we are fighting about your your lovely little boo, <laughs> Sophia Coppola, and On the Rocks, her recent... But we screened at the cinema. Okay, start the clocks, because... Go ahead, defend this thing.
1: Okay, look. Here's my defense of On the Rocks, which I think is a lovely, funny comedy from Sophia Coppola that might be her least essential movie. Oh, that is so kind. It, look, I saw on the rocks a couple weeks ago as part of the New York Film Festival. Humble brag, watching. Oh, you had to get it in there. Everybody's
0: like, "Oh, Corey's but, yeah, winning! Corey's I am, winning!" I
1: am a very, you know, um, uh, official, like great person. See, I'm rusty. I don't know what I'm, sa- I'm saying here. Like, you know, so I got to participate in this festival, and I saw on the rocks, sandwiched as you sometimes do at festivals, in between some of the most intense shit that anybody's ever seen in their lives
0: on your computer screen,
1: uh, on my big television, but okay. irrelevant. Um, and I was, I was really charmed by it. I was really taken with it. It's a movie Shocker. about how Sophia Coppola feels like a dorky mom with a larger-than-life dad. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it feels like one of her more personal films since Lost in Translation. Um, is it insubstantial? Perhaps, but it's got enough fizzy sort of screwball comedy energy to it and a really lovely Bill Murray performance that I was really taken by it. And these are dark fucking times, Rachel. Okay, I it's, hear it's what you're saying, but let's moment. let's
0: change it from On the Rocks to just Privilege. That should be the title of this thing. It's, it is a dud. It is just not working for me at all. Mm. I'm bored out of my skull with it. I mean, mm. okay, there are some things that work. Don't get me wrong. I, I, there's no reason for me to address those just yet because my main problem with this thing is that fe- it is absent of female friendship. You have Jenny Slate, you have this ability to have, like, a character in there that could do something, be really funny. And she's, like, the personification of an eye roll. Yeah. And I just – it's all about the men in her life. I just – it's – I'm just bored out of my skull with daddy and and husband. And, and of course, I just – I don't want to give away where it lands, but I was disappointed in where it lands. Mm-hmm. I just – the whole thing feels like um, – I don't know, just – just sort of wandering through this woman's life in a way that's not that's not at all interesting. I love seeing the city. I love the places. I, I love Bill Murray. I love seeing you know, I love going to like the parts of New York that are the old school, wooden wall restaurants. All that's cool. But ultimately I don't really believe the narrative. And yeah.
1: I mean look, that's that's not an unfair criticism. Okay. I'll, I'll say that it's not an unfair criticism. I will say, in response to the lack of female friendships, I think that that's part of the text of the movie. Is, is her, it? Is that, her oh, that isolation? Is so, that's and what her I'm going to do dis- from now on. From
0: now on, if you have a problem with something, I'll be like, "I feel that's part of the subtext." Is
1: it? But yeah, I think it is. It, she's she's a a woman whose life has come to be defined by motherhood, by marriage, by her relationship with her father. Yep. And the movie is about her yep. navigating all of these
0: yep. things. Yep, and spoiler alert, but it all ends with her being just fine with being defined by men.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that as a criticism.
0: Oh my God, you really are Rusty.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so, I don't have I. You know, when you, when you suggested fighting about on the rocks, so I was like, I loved that. I loved that movie, but I totally get like because these are the same criticisms that have been levied against Coppola her entire career. The yeah, idea, yeah, what's of, going on? Is she a problem like with a, women? I don't think she has a problem with women. I mean, does she?
0: I don't. That's what I i don't. I hate asking this question all the fucking time, and here I am asking it about Sofia Coppola. It should be the opposite. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's not maturing in her work. I'm disappointed. I want more from her. Like, I, I love a lot of her work. I think she's a visionary. I think mm-hmm. there, there are many things that I think are lovely about her and wonderful about her films. I just, I'm disappointed where where we are. This is really where we've come to writing around New York City with Bill Murray. Mm. I kind of just don't care. I don't care.
1: I, I found enough pleasure in that to say overall, you know, very positive response. But again, like... Is that colored by the circumstances in w- which I watched the movie? Right. I, you know, who can say? Who can say?
0: Okay. Well. Yeah. I feel like I'm winning this argument a Is this, lot. A, what is
1: this, a four and a half minute fight I mean, where we're just, four we're and a half minutes. like. Nah. I,
0: I feel like I'm coming strong out of quarantine.
1: Rashida Jones is good.
0: She's fine. The performances are fine. Like, I'm not arguing with that. You hire, you, you know, you hire experienced, seasoned, really you know, thoughtful actors and yeah. you get what you pay for.
1: I mean, that's, that's half the battle right there. Right? And
0: I mean, yeah, I guess so. Um, and then I, what was it you said to me? You're like, oh, poor Sophia Coppola can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah. And she was born with a break. I just want you to know, we're not going to throw a bunch of sympathy towards Sophia Coppola. She was born with a break. I, I don't find
1: her work free of interrogation of that, though. I, I, I don't find On the Rocks in particular free of, of sort of interrogation of, of that privilege.
0: Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where I we landed.
1: Like, Both of us are just like,
0: eh. I feel like I've won this and just kind of gave up about three and a half minutes ago because I was winning. Now, here's where we find out just how much of a baby bitch Sam is when he goes, well, I don't know. I still think Corey won. Let's hear it, Sam.
1: Yeah, Rachel's going to demand a recount if the results <laughs> oh, don't come in the way oh she my wants God. it. Here
0: we go. Me, Trump, same difference, you know. <laughs> you must make direct eye contact with oh, me, Sam, no. while you while you deliver <laughs> this <not> verdict.
3: <laughs> okay. Voter intimidation. Um, let's see. So, Corey said it is her least essential movie, and I absolutely agree. It is just a slice of life. It is not really meant to be, like, the peak of cinema and storytelling. It's just, like, a movie she made in her downtime with her rich friends and her very famous father. I saw a review that pointed out the scene in which Bill Murray is pulled over and talks his way out of a speeding ticket has to be a mirror to Sofia Coppola's experience at any festival around the world. And it's absolutely true. Rachel said the title of this thing should be called privilege. And I absolutely agree it should also be titled nepotism. Um, (laughs) It's absent a female friendship when there could easily have been... um, And but I'm gonna give bonus points to Corey. Of course, you are just bonus points for being to Corey for being a super cool person and watching as part of a virtual online (laughs) festival. So cool,
0: like they say on The Bachelorette, he showed up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And Corey gets some bonus points for just his agreeableness. I think it's something we all need right now. It was nice to hear. You know what? That's true. Um, but yeah, Rachel wins on the pure energy of her debate skills. So
0: Oh yes. thank you. I finally caught a break. <laughs> Unlike Sophia Cobel, who just can't seem to catch one. <laughs> no, my, father's <laughs> uh. my father's famous. My best friend is Bill Murray. I just can't
3: win. It was a nice
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We're just your—I <laughs> can't—I can't do it when you're laughing like that. We're your own personal Michelle Williams and Bussie Phillips. Aw, I know. Nice. I love them. They've
1: got a good friendship.
0: Also, Michelle Williams call me. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you to Batwall Studios. Thank you to Four Seasons Landscaping. <laughs> thank you to um, you, Corey.
1: I well, thanks to you too, Rachel. I'm never not going to find the Four Seasons thing hilarious. I think for. You know, years, it's going to be like, remember that time after the election that Rudy Giuliani set up a press conference at the quote unquote four seasons. And it was a landscaping place in middle of nowhere, Philadelphia, um, next to a crematorium and a sex toy shop.
0: It's I just, have, like, just the
1: best. It's a, just the best.
0: It is the best. I have a little empathy for whatever, like, intern or assistant made that phone call. Mm,
1: n- none. None oh, whatsoever. Okay, you're no, right. The, you're, yeah, right. Yeah. you're right, oh, you're right, Oh, let's empathize with the poor interns for the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah,
0: they're on the same level as poor old Sophia Coppola. Anyway, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Sidewalkfest.com.
1: And uh, check us out on social media, at Sidewalk Film. I know that now.
2: <laughs> Boutwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words our expertise.